You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The groups of people that do this, majority are criminal organizations, and they know how to social engineer elderly very, very well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hello, Dave. We've got some good stories this week, and later in the show, we've got a guest coming into the studio. He prefers to stay anonymous, but he's going to be sharing some stories of his attempts to keep his father safe online. And we are back. Joe, before we dig into our stories this week, we've got some follow-up. Okay. Uh, we got a note from Perry Carpenter. He's At a friend no of the show. Yep, yeah. from No Before. And, of course, Perry is the author of the book Transformational Security Awareness. He wrote and he says, hey, guys, love last week's show. Fun and informative, as always. Thank you, Perry. He said, I wanted to give a bit more information about one of the items you covered last week. Joe mentioned a creative ad on Instagram that was designed to trick a user into clicking on an ad by making them think they had a hair on their phone phone. Well, guess what? There's actually a name for that kind of ploy. It's called a dark pattern. Hmm. And as you can imagine, the use of such tactics has sparked quite a few debates in the design and UX communities over the past few years. Interesting. I briefly discuss dark patterns in my book on pages 108, 109, for those of you keeping track at home. Uh, They are a way that designers and malicious actors can weaponize nudge theory or even create anti-nudges. At the end of the section, I list a few links for more information. Very interesting stuff. Keep up the great work. So if you're interested in that sort of stuff, check out Perry's book, Transformational Security Awareness. This sounds like he digs into it with a little more detail. Right. Thank you, Perry. Well, let's dig into our stories this week. Joe, why don't you kick things off for us? Dave, today I want to talk about a blog post from Orcats over at Akamai. Mm -hmm. He has a uh, good blog post on the economy of phishing. Okay. Okay. So we're going to take a look behind the scenes at phishing. When you get that email... Something has happened before you've gotten that email, and today we're going to talk about it. We'll put a link to the article in the show notes. Okay. I talk about the economics of the hacking community frequently because the hacking marketplace is an economy with all the same market forces in in effect. Supply and demand still have a very real impact in those illicit markets. Yeah. Just like in any illicit market, Mm -hmm. right? It's no different from any other economy, even a legitimate one. Right. And there are two clear groups in this economy on the supply side of this operation. And one of them are the developers. And these are the people who actually develop these kits and templates, right? Okay. Now, you think of kits and templates. These are templates for emails and templates for login pages. I have a template of an email allegedly from a bank or from an online service. And then I'm going to also match that up with a fake login page to harvest credentials. So I send you an email that's from, uh, you know, allegedly from your bank. You get that email, you click through and you go to the website that's also pretending to be from the same bank. Correct. Mm -hmm. And it looks the same. And the website actually logs your username and password. It's actually a pretty simple thing to develop. But there are people out there who can't develop it because it does require a little bit of know-how about HTML forms and things of that nature. Right. You have to make it look right, Mm -hmm. first off. Yeah. And then you have to actually make it record the username and password. It's fairly trivial. But it does require some skill. Yeah. So people develop these things and then they hand them off to the sales organizations, mm. right? Now, the, mm-hmm. the sales organizations provide the phishing kits, which includes the templates and the logon pages and all that stuff. But they also provide other services. 
right? Hmm. These guys, we're a full-service company. Do you need a place to host your fake blogging page? Well, we can provide you with hosting services. Oh. What about a script to send out all these emails? Do you need that? Uh, you know, you can write the email and develop it from our template, but then you're going to need help sending out these emails. Who are you going to send them to? We got an email list right here. <laughs> it's a full-service shop, Dave. <laughs> yeah. There's a business behind this. Uh, yeah. Right? Uh-huh. The article has a picture of fishing kits for sale. Guess how much a fishing kit costs? Oh, my goodness. 20 bucks. 10 bucks. Wow. Uh, you were, you're within an order of magnitude, so that's good. Okay. It's amazing how cheap these are because mm-hmm. you, you I guess you can sell these kits to, you know, a thousand people a month or something and you yeah. can make 10 bucks. That's $10,000 mm-hmm. or maybe a year. I don't know. This fishing kit has a list of templates that it comes with. It can target rapid share. Interesting. It can target deviant art. Somewhere out there, somebody wants to buy and sell deviant art credentials. Hmm. MySpace, Nationwide, PayPal, of course. Yeah. All kinds of different stuff is on here. What's interesting to me is the sophistication that that's growing with these how right. polished yeah. these sites are yeah these templates are getting better and better mm-hmm. right and like you say it's sort of a turnkey kind of thing it's like it's like buying a franchise right, right. Like- exactly <laughs> it, that's exactly right. right it's like buying a franchise it's like you're going to mcdonald's and you're going to yeah. say i want to i want to set up a mcdonald's restaurant right. you're just going to these guys and saying i want to set up a fishing operation right you need a french fryer we got that right yeah, you need a big golden arches for out front yeah what size do you need we right. got that it's, yeah. a, it's exactly the same thing except <laughs> except you don't have to pay them a residual maybe it's even better than mcdonald's <laughs> Maybe, except oh, there's that whole illegal thing. But. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. There's all these chances of going to jail. Whatever. Yeah, well, you know, details. Right, right. Uh, there are even criminals within this marketplace, right? Hmm. And they're called rippers. And what they'll do is they'll go out and they'll buy a fishing kit, and then they'll rebrand it as their own and <laughs> sell it for less. Those okay. dirty rats. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. You're breaking my heart, right? So the fact that there are these guys out there called rippers leads Katz to his next point, which is that branding is key. And these guys focus on their branding and how they manage their branding through uh, signature development, hmm. right? So it's really the development style that is the branding on these things. So they build a reputation for right. quality, reliability, effectiveness, I guess. Right. Yeah. yeah. Huh. They do that. Interesting. Katz talks about one fishing kit called Kalbhai, which okay. looks like a foreign word to me. So I did some work. Uh, I plug that into the Google Translate, and it comes up as the Gaelic translation of Calvary, hmm, okay, which is the hill outside of Jerusalem where the Romans would crucify people, right, right, including Jesus. Poetic. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's something in there. Akamai has seen this fishing kit on more than 1,700 domains since December. Hmm. And then they have a chart that goes from like December to February of the finding of these domains, because domains are really how you can find a more accurate count. It's a more stable metric. Okay. And it looks like if you were to do a linear regression on this, it would be a flat line maybe with a little bit of a slope up, right? Yeah. And what does that mean? Well, that means that just about every day on average, there is like somewhere between 10 and 15 of these domains being stood up with this one fishing kit on it. Hmm. And that number is slowly increasing over time. So they're either gaining market share or they're growing with the market. It's an interesting look into the entire economy of these things. Fishing is not going away. Right. It's, no. it's remarkably effective and it works. And that's why it's being made into a commodity here that you can buy for essentially 10 bucks. And if you need additional services, they'll be happy to provide it. for you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. Interesting stuff. Like you said, we'll have a link in the show notes to that one. My story this week was sent in by a listener named Micaela. 
And it's about scammers taking advantage of people using Discord. Are you familiar mm. with Discord? I am on Discord, yeah. Oh, okay. So describe for our listeners what Discord is. Discord is a chat client, much like Slack, if you use Slack for development purposes. I know Slack's very popular. Discord, however, requires one login for all of your different channels that you're on. You can be on different channels for different topics. Mm-hmm. It's used heavily by gamers. Uh, and Discord also has a voice option. So you can just join a voice chat or create a voice chat and people can come in and talk on their headsets. And that's why it's popular with gamers because you can talk with each other while you're gaming. You don't have to text. I see. So for games that don't have the built-in chat capability, this is a way for you to do that. Right. A side, sort of side channel. Yep. This was uh, sent in to us. It's actually a series of tweets uh, by someone who goes on Twitter by the name Splatter Shaw. And we'll have a link to this series of tweets. But they explain people who are getting scammed using the Discord app. And I'm going to sort of run through the description here. You'll get a DM from someone on your friends list in mm-hmm. a group chat or someone on mutual servers. They say, don't click the link. And these DMs are coming in multiple forms. It comes to you from a friend and it says, uh, hey, you know, here's a way for you to get some free stuff. Click here and you're going to get some free stuff, right? And like many of these scams, it uses a URL that looks similar to Discord. Uh, Instead of an actual Discord URL, it's discordgg.ga. So it's like a credential harvesting is the first step. Correct. Well, and I think that's really what they're after here. And they say you're going to be able to redeem some Nitro, which is uh, an online gaming currency. Okay. I'm not familiar with Nitro. Yeah. I know that Discord has a client and also has a web version. So I guess they're trying to take you into a copy of the web version. Well, what it does is it takes you to a fake login page Uh and it looks exactly like Discord's actual login. Okay. So if you fall for this, you log in and... Presto changeo, they have your credentials. And let me guess um, what happens next. Can go, I guess? Please, yes. Everybody, all your friends and connections start getting the same message. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm good at this, Dave. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've been around the block once or twice. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, this is driven by a bot and it goes through all your friends. Basically, everyone you know sends out the same message promising free stuff and they get your account information. They, they change your username and password so you can no longer get into oh. your... Yeah. Really? Yeah. Bad form, right? Dirty. Yeah. That is bad form. Mm -hmm. And they're gathering up these credentials to sell the credentials, big groups of credentials to sell online. Uh So the recommendation here is, as we always say, what's the easiest way to prevent this, Joe? Well, first off, don't click on the link. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Good advice. Here's my other advice. Discord offers two-factor authentication. Ding, 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 ding. Use it. I use it. You should use it. It's really simple. Yep. That is it. So uh, if you are a Discord user, please, please, please go in and uh, enable your two-factor authentication. Uh, That'll pretty much make sure that uh, you're not going to be victimized by this sort of thing. And their form of two-factor authentication is not SMS message. It's one of those time-generated codes with like Google Authenticator that you can can use. So it's, it's a little bit more secure than, actually, it's significantly more secure than an SMS message. Yeah. When I give talks and I tell people, If you're going to do one thing now, I used to say use a password manager. That's if you're going to do two things, I say use a password manager. But always, if you're going to do one thing, I say just enable two-factor authentication. Mm, Whatever form of two-factor authentication is available to you, uh, it'll make you much more secure. Knowledge-based two-factor authentication is not very good. But if it's an SMS message, that's a lot more secure than not having it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, those are our stories. It's time to move on to our catch of the day. 
Our catch of the day this week is courtesy of a friend of the show named Mickey. This is the transcript of a Facebook Messenger exchange. This was started by a handsome man. It's one of those attempts at a romance scam. Ah. And he's targeting a woman named Lily. So, Joe, I want you to play the part of the would-be scammer. And I'm going to play the part of Lily. The scammer is using the name Michael William. It looks like he meant to type Michael, but right, got the it. E and the A wrong there. Yep. Uh, handsome, middle-aged, good-looking guy in the picture there. And kind of goes like this. Hello, how are you doing? Michael, is that the French spelling? It's Arabic. How are you doing? Did Faza send you? Does he miss me? Tell me where you are from. Oh, Michael, I don't like to think about the past. If you don't mind me asking... Are you married with kids? I came close. I was once almost the queen of the United Arab Emirates before Faza's heart turned cold. Oh, sorry to hear that. So tell me, where do you live now? Do you know what I do when I'm sad? No, tell me what you do when you are sad. I sing a song and do a dance. Okay, why do you skip my questions? I asked where you are from. You didn't answer. Why? Okay, here I go. The minute you walked in the joint... I could tell you were a man of distinction. I'm doing a little coochie coo now. What the hell are you talking about? A real big spender. Why can't you answer my questions? So good looking, so refined. Now I'm tapping my way across the floor, making circles with my top hat. Can you f***ing stop the joke? Wouldn't you like to know what's going on in my mind? No, not until you stop skipping my questions. Ugh, it wasn't a question. That's the lyric to the song. Okay, anyway, I'm doing a triple time step with a quick ball change, and I'm about to hit you with my razzle-dazzle. Maybe I won't chat you again. So let me get right to the point. That will be nice. Where are you from? Ugh, for God's sakes, Michael, that's another lyric to the song. Can you stop interrupting my number? I don't pop my cork for every man I see. Arm circles, jumping splits, quick costume change. Hey, big spender, spend a little time with me. Jazz hands, jazz hands, confetti. When you are done with your f***ing song, can you tell me? Okay, I'm done with the song. Okay, where are you from? Where am I from? Or where is the character in my next song from? What the f***? Where are you from? Yentl is from a small village in Poland. I won't chat you again. Okay, so picture me with short hair wrestling with my love for a deeply spiritual man and my own love of forbidden learning. Papa, can you hear me? I promise you that. Papa, can you see me? Emoting in Barbara. Are you done? Yes. Sure? Mm-hmm. So, tell me where you are from. Just kidding, I'll never be done with Broadway and Broadway will never be done with me. Papa, can you find me in the night? Okay, continue and never end, and forget chatting me. Razzmatazz. you. (laughs) This is awesome. (laughs) Mickey, you're brilliant. I love this a lot. (laughs) I don't think Mickey can take credit for the actual interaction here. I think she found this and sent it on because somehow she knew we would appreciate it. Right. And boy, do we. Yes, we do. (laughs) I'll tell you this. If you it doesn't matter if you copy and paste this. Just doing this is brilliant. You're my hero of the week, Nikki. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our catch of the day. Coming up next, we've got a guest here in the studio. Uh, he prefers to be anonymous because he's going to be sharing some stories about his dear father and some of the ways that he's fallen victim to some scams. And we are back. Joe, we've got a guest joining us in the studio today. Would you like to introduce him for us? Yes. This is Bill. 
Not his real name, but we're going to call him <laughs> Bill for the sake of this interview. And he is a colleague of yours. He is, yes. All right. And uh, Bill, what brings you here today? Well, I'm here to talk a little bit about scamming the elderly, which yeah. is something that actually happened to my father. My stepmom died after 26 years of marriage uh, to my dad, and he's one of those that just didn't want to be uh, left out, wanted to be involved, likes women. Ah, um, mm-hmm. So, you know, he started looking at porn sites and things like that, and but then somehow got involved with falling for like the Nigerian princess schemes and and things like that and so far it has cost him uh somewhere between 50 and 100,000. dollars He won't give wow. the actual number but uh based on how long he told me that it would take him to get solvent again, it was at least $50,000. Wow. Let's dig into some of the actual events here. I mean, first of all, I think this is something that concerns many of us, most right. of us. You know, you're, if when your folks are still around and they start to get up there in years and they have online internet connected devices. Correct. And they're not digital natives. Yeah, you know? this is all new to them. Yeah. The territory is new territory. And they're trusting. Yes, they're very trusting. And quite frankly, the the groups of people that do this, majority of criminal organizations, and they know how to social engineer elderly very, very well. Right. So take us through, uh, how did this first come to your attention? At what point did he come to you and say, I need to have a conversation with you? Uh, Well, I actually had an incident uh, a year prior before we had a second incident. I was seeing some of these emails and I tried to explain to him what scamming was because he had asked some questions about some money he had sent. And I tried to explain to him on this one scenario, which was in Australia. So a couple of things were he's trying to help out these women that, you know, that they're supposedly talking to him and everything like that because Mm -hmm. that's filling his need. And there's always a, a male intermediary somewhere in there. And this particular one was a case of supposedly an American woman who found out that her father, that she did not know, happened to be a multimillionaire mm. from the UK mm-hmm. and had died in Australia. And what the issue was is that she was trying to get some of the assets transferred and there were some costs involved from transferring it from Australia to the UK. Mm. So in this case, they actually used the name of the actual attorney, mm. but- as I was trying to point out to my dad as we're going through this whole thing, because he had sent already several thousand dollars for her for, for hotel rooms and things like that, is, all right, dad, so let's go to his website in Australia and look, his mobile phone number is there. So if he is a businessman talking with you, why would he be using a different phone number? Oh, well, that's his personal cell. Hmm. Well, if he's a lawyer representing someone, why would he use his personal cell? Now, you have to understand my dad has been a businessman, uh, his own company. He's been in the family business that he took over since 1942. Pretty intelligent guy. Right. When it comes to legal stuff, he's very familiar with the legal stuff. But I'm laying all this stuff out here why this is not right or sounding right. Because I said, listen, dad, if someone had $10 million in cash assets in Australia and they had to transfer it to the UK – they're not going to, if they have 10 million cash, they're not going to charge you additional to send it. If you don't have the money, they'll subtract the charge off of that 10 million. So you're only going to get 9 million, 900,000, whatever. Mm-hmm. Said, so there's no reason you have to give money up front for this stuff. Right. Well, your point, though, that he's not someone who just fell off the turnip truck. He's not He's not a rube. Your, your dad's an intelligent guy with experience in business. And yet, here he finds himself. Right. Exactly. And that's the hard part because I'm like, this is so obvious. Why is he falling for this? And And it's not just him because I'll go into the next scenario later. I laid everything out there for him to see that this wasn't, you know, in one of his comments, like, son, there's nothing wrong with helping people. And I'm like, dad, you're right. There's nothing wrong with helping people. 
but there's people you could help locally that you can actually meet in person. Right. Versus someone over the Internet. So he feels good about himself that he's helping people out. And I guess that's the narrative he wants to believe in his mind. Yes. And I also think that, that there's a sexual portion of this because he thinks he's going to get something out of this from the females that he's helping. Right. So it's got a romance scam element to exactly, it Exactly. Well. Which is being a lonely guy who's now, uh, you know, 76 years old. Yeah. That's attracted mm -hmm. to him. Yeah. So they're, they're, yeah, they're coming at him from that direction. Okay. So you sort of work that through with him and time passes. And then what happens next? Then what happens, I get a phone call on my phone from a detective in Texas who is trying to track down my father due to a scam that they've uh, seen. They, they arrested someone down there on his telephone. They found a bunch of contact information from a whole bunch of different people hmm. that had sent money. And that money, when it arrived, was turned around and sent to Nigeria. Mm -hmm. mm. Wow. And so they were building a case on this. If I get this phone call, the first thing I'm thinking is, uh, this is a follow-on scam, right? Mm. Correct. That's so, exactly what I did. So, right. because as you know, some of my connectivity and some of my special accounts that I have on government systems, right. I had the detective contact me at one of my government entities that I support uh -huh. through that because I kind of know that this entity... If they thought there was a scam running, they would jump in there. Right. But sure enough, the detective followed on through with his business email that was legitimate with the telephone number and everything like that. And we started uh, exchanging information that way. So that is how I kind of verified that this was actual, uh, no kidding, uh, detective in Texas versus, you know, another scam. Trying and you to can it. always call the person in Texas, too. You can look up the Texas... This was a police detective or a private detective? No, this was a police detective. So you, you can look up the police department and call them directly. Right, exactly. And he also was able to track down my brother. I left messages there. My brother thought it was a scam, so he never bothered responding. Right. So when he started adding, saying all these things that he had done, and then he was willing to contact through a government, uh, sending an email to a government entity, uh, especially the, the three-letter one. Right, <laughs> right, <Yeah>. right. <laughs> Yeah. And so, again, if not for these scammers being caught, um, your father could have continued down the path even farther with them. Yeah, because uh, this was one situation. The other one where he actually called me up again was talking about a gold shipment. And before they were willing to release the gold shipment, they had to pay for the storage costs. Mm -hmm. And I just listened to these things. I'm like, this is just not how trade works in the commodities market. Right. And so what happens this time when, when you confront your father with this information? How does he respond? This time he finally admitted how stupid he was. Huh. Okay. But I will have to say, though, that based on some of his behavior, I actually called adult services in the state of Minnesota to uh, see if they could launch an investigation into him, which they did. However, because he's not at threat for physically hurting himself, the state would not get involved. Hmm. But they did come back and say, we think that you need to have a family intervention with him because obviously we saw some things that are concerning, but we don't believe he's a threat to himself physically. And as such, we cannot get involved. So hmm. we're talking about just some mental health issues, things with the aging process, those sorts of things where maybe he's not as uh, not, not as with it as he was when he was younger. He has mentioned that he said he doesn't feel his uh, mind is as sharp as it used to be. Hmm. But at the same time, I think it's that overriding fear of being depressed, being lonely, that he is getting something out of this, mm -hmm. whether the person he's communicating is really a woman or not. Right. But he's getting something out of that that is driving him to continue on. And, you know, he's willing to take risks and send large amounts of money out there. 
Uh, in the case of the the Texas thing, since it was being sent to Nigeria, you know, I started pointing them out. I was like, that you're making yourself liable for potential criminal activity. Hmm. Because if this is going to Boko Haram, which is an ISIS uh, affiliate, I said, you have a choice. You either can go up there and tell them what an idiot you are for falling for this. Or if you try to not try to say you're an idiot, you might be facing some potential time for supporting a terrorist organization. Hmm. So, so I recommended him he, he say that he's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine so. I fell for a scam. <laughs> right, right. I'm not, I'm not supporting terrorists. So where does it stand now? I mean, you, you've been through multiple incidences with him. I'm sure you must be a little nervous that it's going to happen again. Yes. And, you know, my brother and sister and I all had a, a sit down and a talk because how part of this came to light is he got himself financially strapped. And so he started going to my sister asking for the money for the mortgage that she owed him. That's another family situation. But essentially, in 2006, my sister wanted to save money and so decided to stop paying him back for the loan on the house that he loaned her money to build a house. She decided on her own to not pay it back anymore. Family stuff. Family stuff. Right, right, right. And so (laughs) he wanted his money now. Yeah. And he needed his money now. Right. Exactly. So, so per, these scams have potentially burned through his nest egg, yep. uh, his his uh, his buffer, his comfort. Yeah. So even that adds, uh, you know, stress to members of the family that otherwise wouldn't have been there. Correct. And my brother and I, at least, are on the same sheet of music. We just said, you know, Dad, we love you. If this is what you want to do with your money, well, it's your money. I said. Yeah. So it's if expensive you want, entertainment, right? Yeah. And if you really want to get this, I mean, my brother and I at least are, were pretty much on the same like because my brother said, "Well, Dad, did you actually get anything out of any of this stuff?" And he's like, uh, "No." I'm like, and I just looked at him and said, "Well, Dad, you know, you can go to Nevada and you can pay and actually get <laughs> right. something out of it <laughs> right. if that's what you really want to do." <laughs> right? Yeah. So there, there yeah, are opportunities yeah. of doing something like this without you know wasting all this money. Yeah. Right? But we just said, you know, if you want our help, we'll offer our help. But if this is how you want to live your life, we're not going to stop you. What are your recommendations for, you know, friends and family and colleagues based on what you've been through? Do you have any tips for folks to check in on their own loved ones to try to be uh, proactive about these sorts of things? Your first sign is if they're spending lots of time on the Internet communicating with other people. That's your first clue. And my dad, I could say, was probably a little bit Internet addicted. Hmm. I had seen in the past he had me come in to fix his computer and I'd be cleaning off malware and stuff like that because of sites he had gone to. Mm -hmm. So I knew he was into that portion. How he actually started getting involved, I'm guessing through, he just started to decide to answer some of these emails that they sent out, you know, whether it be the Nigerian princess scam or, you know, whoever. Once you start responding to those things, um, they're very good at, again, we talked about social engineering. They're very good at working the people over and, and, you know, creating them to be what they want them to be. Uh, yeah. And I've saw some of the emails and they go between praise uh, to almost threatening. Hmm. Huh. So they really go across the different gamut of emotions. Amazing. And there's no no real hope of him getting any of this money back. There's zero hope of getting any of the money back. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for coming in and uh, and sharing these stories. I mean, it's it's obviously it's it's heartbreaking uh, that you and your family had to go through this, but I think it's a good cautionary tale for our listeners. First of all, to know that they're not alone if they've been through these sorts of things themselves, but also to get in there and and check on your loved ones, to ask those questions, make sure that they're not falling for these sorts of scams. 
Yeah, and it's not only just this scam. I mean, we've seen it with, uh, I've done some talks with real estate brokers on that and how people have lost their entire nest egg because the title agency has been compromised. They get an email from the title agency, hey, we have a change. You need to go ahead and send the money to this account versus the previous account. And so then they follow on through and follow those directions. And then they find out they sent it to the wrong people and there's no hope of getting it back. So now they're out all this money as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks again for coming in. It's a really interesting conversation. We do appreciate it. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Our staff writer is Tim Nodar. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.